Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians? We're starting a new series this morning on the book of 1 Corinthians entitled, We Gotta Talk, because it's a tough letter. It is... Uh, This church has problems, the church in Corinth. In fact, in the commentaries, all the commentaries that I read on the letter to Corinthians, each commentator found it necessary to say, we do think this is in fact a real church. I don't mean like real, like historically real, like that the people are actually followers of Jesus. Because the problems are so significant that you can get somewhere when you're reading this letter where you'll be like, do they even love the Lord? You don't find that when you go study the book of Ephesians or Colossians. The commentator's wondering, do these people actually like Jesus? But so this is a, this is a real church, uh, but it's a church with, with a, lot of, a lot of issues. And it, part of the issues come from the fact that they're not well-centered. I'll give you, I'll give you an example, uh, just a very benign example. I did not grow up uh, around the game of baseball. I never learned how to throw a ball. Like if I throw a ball, it lands like right there. Just, um, baseball is a complicated sport. So that if you don't really know it, it doesn't just teach it. You can't watch it and learn it. And it's long and boring. <laughs> I'll say it. And really, I thought that baseball and I uh, had nothing to do with one another until my kids got into it. And when they get into it, you get into it. You get into what your kids get into. So I was, would put lacrosse sticks all around the house, but they would grab baseball bats. Darn it! You know, I try next year. But while... Uh, they got into it with their wiffle ball in the neighborhood and then Piedmont. And there was a season, there was a season in our life where I knew all the players on the Phillies. I knew all the big trades. I mean, because it was, the kids were talking about it and the Phillies were doing really well. And I was watching it on TV and enjoying it. I was having fun. And then they got off of baseball. And so did I. The only, reason, the only reason I was in was because it was for other reasons, okay? Versus somebody who has a deep love of the game. Can you imagine somebody who just loves the game of baseball? So much so, they don't even need to watch it on TV. They'd rather be outside playing it. Like, if there is a stick and a rock, they're going to hit it. You know what I mean? They are, I'm a lefty. They are, they're so like enraptured by the game. That kind of person is never far away from the game. For me, I needed all of these artificial peripheral things. Like I needed kids to actually be playing. I needed my team to be the greatest team in the country for that year. I needed several things to sort of pull me in. Because I was living on the periphery. You might say that Corinth 
The church in Corinth is a church, but it's a church that's living on the periphery. So they have God, but they're not there for all the right reasons. And they're not that far from falling out either. I think we can probably entertain that notion of some of us come to Jesus for certain reasons, and if those reasons leave, so does the reason we're there. Corinth is a little bit that way. Let me give you a little bit of background. Corinth, it was a city south of, uh, of Athens. It's in Greece. It was a port city and kind of a wild town. Like what goes on in Corinth stays in Corinth. That was the, uh, you find old billboards excavated where the neon says that. Um, in fact, it was a pejorative phrase in the ancient Near East. If you called somebody Corinthian, you were, you were essentially saying that they were morally deviant or broken. Could you, it would be a name you would call somebody. Corinth was, uh, turned out it was one of the, it was the last city that Paul visited on his second missionary journey. So he had one missionary journey where he, he focused in, in what you would call Turkey today. And then the second missionary journey he thought would be in Turkey, but the Lord, the, the Spirit pulled him into Macedonia and then chased him, you know, kind of through misadventures. He sort of chased him all the way down and he finally lands in Corinth. In this rowdy town, and when he gets to Corinth, everything he does works. He can't lose in Corinth. So he arrives in Corinth, and the first people he meets is a husband and wife by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. And at this time, they're devout Jews. They were Jews who were kicked out of Rome. Uh, So they're sort of expatriates. And they're out of Rome, and they've come to live in Corinth in the meantime. And he falls in with them because they make tents for a living. And he's a tent maker by trade. And so he, he pays for his living with them. Now, at some point, Aquila and Priscilla become wonderful Christians. We don't know when that happened. It happened somewhere after Paul meeting them. And they become these really strong Christian couple. And Paul in Corinth does what he always did. He goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he reasons through the scriptures with with those who are there about Jesus as the Messiah. Except in Corinth, unlike in all those other towns, the head leader of of the synagogue is converted. Crispus and his whole house, by the way, this is all Acts chapter 18, Crispus and his whole house are converted to the Lord. Difficulties arise, like they did in every town, but it was different in Corinth. Eventually, the Jews get tired of Paul in the synagogue, so they kick him out of the synagogue. And and there's a a God-fearing Greek who lives immediately next door to the synagogue who says, well, come here and preach out of this place. I mean, every time something goes wrong in Corinth, something goes right for Paul. In fact, the Holy Spirit says to him, do not be afraid and do not be silent. 
because there are many people of mine in this city. And so Paul preached, not for a month, not for two months, he was there for a year and a half preaching the gospel. It appears as though the second leader of the synagogue by the name of Sosthenes was also converted to Jesus uh, to Christ. <laughs> Think of that. Think of how successful this ministry is that the first leader, Jewish leader of the synagogue, I mean, this, this would have been the will of the Lord for all of them, but the first leader of the synagogue and the second leader of the synagogue both come to know the Lord. In this train wreck of a city, the church of Jesus Christ is wildly successful. Except that it's a train wreck of a church. And that's what the letter is about. Paul's writing this letter to the church in Corinth. You will not see, probably in the first verses of this letter, you won't see problem. Uh, I am going to be pointing things out to you that are kind of, I think, tipping the hand of a problem or it's a tell for the problem. Um, But you sort of have to have read the whole letter to realize, well, let me just mention, if you were going to write a letter to a very close friend or a loved one or a lover and you were going to deal with a huge problem, even though you weren't going to get to the problem until page two, not a word you wrote would would be insensitive to it. The moment your pen would hit the paper, you'd be thinking, how do I arrange my words so as to get to the problem the right way? So, and that's, and we're going to feel that. Paul, in our first, this first Sunday in the letter, in our first moment in this letter, is a lot of its positioning to deal with the issue. Uh, but this is a wild church of Jesus Christ. And uh, the Lord wants to tame it. So how about we read the first three verses? This is a greeting. The first three verses are a classic greeting. They have all the elements of a greeting that you'd find in the other letters, um, except a few things are unique. I'll begin, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 1 is, in in this age, they put the from before the to. So verse 1 is the from. It's from Paul called by God to be an apostle, and it's from Sosthenes, who, by the way, is the second leader of the synagogue in Corinth at the time. Now, he's now with Paul, but uh, his name shows up in Acts. And then you get to the second verse of the, of the two, and this probably sounds similar in your mind to what you may have read in, elsewhere in the Bible, except that it's not exactly the same. To the church of God that is in Corinth. That's a little bit of a unique way of saying it. To the church of God that is in Corinth. Let me show you how, the, how, how this is said in the other letters. This is up, uh, this, you'll see in Galatians. To the churches of Galatia, right? Galatia is a region. 
See how that's a little different? Ephesians to the saints who are in Ephesus, Philippians to the saints, and Philippi, Colossians to the saints, and Colossae, Thessalonians, both first and second to the church of the Thessalonians. The church of the Thessalonians, it sounds a little bit different than the church of God in Corinth. And by the way, first and second Corinthians start this way. To the church of God in Corinth. Now, you should not be able to see the problem at this point. But I'm, I'm going to say, I don't, think, I don't think pen is touching parchment without the problem in mind. And to say to the church of God in Corinth, to say the church of God in Newcastle County, reminds the hearer or the reader that we are first and foremost the church of God. And that church of God happens in this particular case to be in Newcastle County. That's what it's saying. The whole is is the lead expression, not the part. And you'll see this in the subsequent passage of verse 2. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? To those who are sanctified in Christ, together with everyone else who's been sanctified in Christ. Do you, do you see how, how Paul is connecting the saints in Corinth to the big idea? This, by the way, shows up nowhere else. None of the other letters start this way. To the church of God, that happens to be in Corinth, and to the saints in Christ there, who, by the way, are, together with all the other saints, saints. In a way, they're special because they're sanctified in Christ, so they're set apart in Christ, which makes them special, but they're not special in the sense that they're Corinthian. They're just like every other special saint. It's sort of the... Here's the inertia. Here's sort of the inertia of the commons. Paul is going to be talking about how they are special in and of the fact that they are different from the world. A saint should be different from the world but not so much unique in and of themselves. I mean, you're unique, but not particularly special. You, there's a way that you're unique, and then there's a way that you're, you're not supposed to be special here. We celebrate the unity of the body here. The big idea is the assembly. That's what he's, he's building. And you're going to see why. I think, I think you'll see why a little bit today, and then you'll see why week after week until we can't handle it anymore. Uh, let, me, let me pick up in verse 4. <clears throat> okay, again, he, his pen is aware. His pen is problem aware. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift 
as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I'll probably put most of the emphasis on the earlier verses here. Paul thanks the Lord for the grace that he's shown Corinth. And verse 5 sort of captures the idea, because in every way they were enriched in all manner of speech and in all manner of knowledge. And then there's this little interlude, like while, while the witness of Christ was being confirmed, oh, and by the way, you also were not lacking any gift. You might say, as a paraphrase, while during the ministry of Paul, while the witness of Jesus Christ was being confirmed within the church, the grace of God was such that they were not lacking in any, to any degree any manner of speech or any manner of knowledge, which, by the way, is a big deal to this crowd. The church of Corinth is going to be, you're going to find out, is all about a prophetic word or a prophetic tongue or a special word from the Lord. He's, he's saying, you didn't lack any of that. You were especially enriched by God. The church in Corinth is all about a wise-sounding eloquent argument. Paul's going to say, you didn't lack any of that either. You were especially enriched in all manner of knowledge. The church of Corinth is all about the spiritual gifts. And Paul's going to say, and you didn't lack any of that either. The gifts of the Holy Spirit were wonderfully active in your fellowship. Does that sound like a God-rich church or a God-poor church? I mean, we did 1 Thessalonians earlier this year. Do you remember how long? Paul was in Thessalonians, maybe three, four weeks. Three, four weeks and he's gone. Just think of how grace-rich this church is. Paul preaches publicly, protected by the Holy Spirit for a year and a half, lacking no lacking nothing by man by way of speech or knowledge or gift the chief leaders of the synagogue converted that's not insignificant they were wildly blessed by the Lord. And Paul is reminding them of that. Maybe we should say it this way. Ah, we'll get to it later. We'll get to it later. Let's look at verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. 
What I mean is this, is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. All right, the problem is afoot. And let me deal first with the baptism issue, right? He kind of heads down in this three or four verses about baptism. It sounds as though, okay, it sounds as though there is a little bit of sectarianism developing where people are claiming to be of a certain teacher. And more, and more specifically here, it sounds like it's mattering to them who baptized them. As though to receive baptism from Apollos is something different than to receive baptism from Paul. Or that the message of Cephas, that's Peter, that's his Jewish name, the message of Cephas is somehow different or better or unique from the message of Paul, which is somehow different or better or unique from the message of Apollos. And Paul's saying, like, how is this happening? We'll find out in a moment that Paul is not challenging the message of Apollos, and he's not challenging the message of Peter. It's not about the teachers, it's about the students. His concern is that their emphasis is in the wrong place. That they're emphasizing secondary things like the teacher or the tone of his message or how one person happens to like the way he said it or they're lifting off maybe the way that that teacher talks as being categorically better at any rate, the message of Jesus Christ is being lost in this. Paul simply wants to, imagine, Paul simply wants to teach Christ. Imagine how heartbroken Paul must have been to find out that his very ministry had become an, a stumbling block for the very people he came to. Remember that momentum that was kind of hinted at in verse 2, right? They're the church of God in Corinth. They're saints, but they're saints just like all the other saints. They're saints together with all the other saints everywhere else that worship the very same God. Kind of that motion that Paul was making towards Christ, towards Christ Jesus. In fact, if you were to count how many times Christ Jesus was written, 10 times by verse 10. Paul is just drilling into them that they are a church in Christ Jesus, blessed through Christ Jesus to worship the Lord and understand the ministry of Christ Jesus. I mean, it's said time and again from verse 1 all the way to 10. That's the momentum. That's the inertia Paul's trying to kind of build. What you hear in the church is an inertia of division. 
They're moving away from one another. I think that Paul and Apollos are on the same page. In fact, I'm fairly certain that Paul will say the same thing here in a page or two. It's the followers. What I think has happened is the incidentals, the incidental things of religion have become their center. The incidentals, the lesser things of the day have become areas for schism. In fact, the Greek word there for division is schismata. I mean, it's become the source of division. I think the best way I can think about this in in our time is the 20th century denominationalizing of the church in America. The process from the late 1800s all the way through the first half of the 1900s to continually scrutinize and divide and split in order to make people know exactly what kind of Christian you were. Exactly what kind... So that a sign with a name could tell you everything you needed to know about that denomination, right? Denomination is itself a sectarian word. And we now sit sort of in the aftermath of the denominational era where people entirely outside of the body go, it doesn't look like you people get along very well. I mean, and I'm not picking on any one denomination over another because we, we all did it and do it. But there are, I mean, literally, he says, I'm hearing from Chloe, Chloe's people are telling me that some of you are wandering after you follow this guy or you follow that guy. I mean, you have Wesleyan Christians, people who follow after the teachings of Minnow. I mean, we literally have named ourselves in some cases, for following after, we're followers of Christ after certain teachers. I think what happens is that when we drift from the center of the faith, when we drift out towards the periphery, well, the things in the periphery are what feel to matter most. What I'm saying is, is it's not enough to know the center of our faith. Okay, it is entirely inadequate to know what the center of the Christian faith is if it's not your center. If you're living on the periphery of, well, we, th- we think you need to go to church on this day over that day, or we think this is the chemical makeup of the Lord's Supper. Or we think, we think this is precisely what valid baptism is. Or we think music has to sound this way for the Holy Spirit to be in it. God doesn't care if you know that Jesus is the sinner if you're living out there. You don't get credit 
for being a spirit-filled follower of Christ if you're living on the periphery, majoring in the minors. God wants to call us all the way back to the center. And this is what's happening. You're in it, we're going to be looking at a church that is it's destroying itself from the inside because its members are living on peripheral hobby issues all around Jesus, and yet no, one, no one's that excited about Christ anymore. Some people come to Christ because of a crisis, right? A crisis leads them into Jesus. The crisis dissipates. They're out. Why? Because what was at the center? The crisis was at the center, not Christ. Some people come to, you know, come to Jesus because of a family, right? The family dutifully went to church and their home was sort of filled with the Holy Spirit and then they go off on their own and they drift. Why do they drift? Because Christ wasn't at the center. The family was at the center. The family was pulling the weight. Some people go adrift because the very church they were part of was not in the center. So they've always been going to a church that's sitting on the periphery and never actually having been introduced to the center in a really healthy way. Let me, let me keep reading. We'll keep assembling the, uh, the thought. Now, I'm not going to read 18. I'm actually going to turn the page to chapter 3 because Paul actually heads off on a different topic for a little while, and then he comes back. But if you look in 3, this is where he's come back. And I'll, I'll just read 3, one, uh, 1 through 9. But brother, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Paul's now telling them, when I came to you at first, I couldn't address you as spiritual. So he's talking about when he first came to them. I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one says, I follow Paul. And another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. But we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. That's a good living stone verse, isn't it? You're God's building. He's saying to them, hey, when I first came to you, we were, you were infants in the faith. This was a wild town, and, and you were so young in the Lord. And so I gave you the elemental things of the faith, the basics, the fundamentals of the faith is what I fed you day in and day out for my ministry. The basic notions, what would you think those are? The, the, the purity of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. I hammered that. 
the love of the Father for us. I hammer that. The ministry of the Holy Spirit and his call for us to be forgivers as we're forgiven. These, these I imagine, are the elementary things of the faith. The desire that, God, that you would love the Lord with all your heart and love your neighbor because love of God effectually manifests manifest itself in the way we love others. That sounds to me to be basic milk of the faith, the fundamental things of the faith. He's saying, that's what I gave you. And he says, and I turn around. And when I see you guys arguing about which teacher said what, he's like, I'm convinced that you're still infants because you're behaving as though the fundamental things haven't taken root. In fact, he says, I was working, Apollos was working alongside of me. We were working together. I planted, he watered. We complimented. So the very fact that you would take our communal work for Christ, split it up and make it a hobby, is infantile. It's of the flesh, is his words. Maybe I'll close with this question or this thought. The presence of an apostle in your church for a year and a half does not a mature church make. It doesn't make a mature church. Uh, that being followed up with, a, with Apollos, another devout teacher of the word, that does not a mature church make. The presence of every manner of speech does not make a church mature. The presence of every gift does not make a church mature. The knowledge of everything, of every teaching, does not make a, mature, a church mature. Do you notice this church is spirit-rich in all the things you'd want? Great teaching, great knowledge, great use of the gifts, great prophetic word. All the things that you would wish that could only come from God have been endowed upon this church, and they are adrift. Because they have forgotten the fundamental things. I might say a theme for this series, this time in Corinthians, or even just a way to close the day, is a good call, a good healthy call for you to return to the sinner. It's not enough that you know what Jesus did. what he did and who he is should be the center. When Christ is the center, then the the secondary things can stay secondary. You don't even have to sweat them. You You can pursue unity when others are pursuing division because that's what Christ did. You can forgive when other people say something cruel because that's what Christ did. You can love when you are not well-loved because that's what Christ did. You can give when people are taking because that's what Christ did. You see, when we're in the center, we are right in the center with the Lord. When what he did and what he's done for us is in the center, we can endure so much and still remain imbalanced. That's a call. Let me pray for that and... uh...
go to the Lord. Father, may that be true for us. I pray that even if it's a person here this morning who doesn't know you, may they be drawn to the sinner, Lord. May they be curiously attracted by the message of mercy and grace that comes through your Son. May they be challenged by it in their own sin. Lord, I ask that you forgive us for when we drift off center. For when the things that we seem to care about a little too much are the things that are on the edge of the faith. And the thing that we care about a little too little is uh, your son and all that is meant through his death and resurrection. Lord, we pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, not through our own labor, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would, whether it's for one person here, just a whispering word to move back to, come back to Christ, drift back towards the sinner, or whether it's the actual ability to, to stay where we ought to be, Lord. We, we need your help. We pray this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.